Hello, welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, the home for all Colorado sports, whether it's collegiate, whether it's professional, whether it's high school, regardless. You can find whatever you are looking for about your favorite team in Colorado on MileHighSports.com. But this is a Denver Nuggets podcast, and we are going to get into the Denver Nuggets 96-92 to win over the Boston Celtics, because this... This win was it carried a lot. Um, first of all, when you beat the Rockets and the Celtics back to back, that's a very big two game stretch for a Nuggets team that's still trying to find itself as they're going through these early season dysfunctional moments or whatever you want to call them. Uh, the one thing that has absolutely been steady throughout the dysfunction is that Denver's defense is downright dominant at this point. Uh, pardon my alliteration, but it just is what it is. So we're going to get into a whole lot about Denver's defense in this game. Uh, I want to talk about Kemba Walker's injury. Actually, I want to lead off with that because there are a few injuries that really shake people to the core, but watching Kemba Walker go down in the way he did and seeing the replay, all of us on media row were like shook by that injury. And you could tell on the court, his entire team was around him. Everybody that traveled with the Boston Celtics, coaching, training staff, whatever it may be, were all huddled around the stretcher as they were trying to get him to go, you know, get him in the back to get some testing done. When he crumpled to the floor, it looked disastrous. Like, of course, it was an extreme over-exaggeration, but when you're watching that happen, the first thought that comes into your head when you watch someone go headfirst into another individual and crumple to the floor like that, you just think, man, like that dude just broke his neck. Like That was the initial thought that runs through your head. Thank God he's okay. Thank God. Because he, it looked about as bad as it could be. He was on the ground motionless seemingly for five minutes, and... Thank God he came back okay. Uh, he ended up getting taken out of the game at the end of the first half. He had some initial testing done in the Denver Nuggets facility. He then w- took an ambulance to the, a hospital in Denver where he was later released from the hospital that night. So right now it is 1230 in the morning in, at night, whatever you want to call it. It's 30 minutes past midnight in Denver. And the news came out about 10, 15 minutes ago that Kemba Walker had been released. And that's about as good of news as you could ever hope for. He's been diagnosed with concussion-like symptoms, and that's really all the update that there is. He's out of the hospital. There are no severe injuries that they have found or even expect to find. He seems like he has dodged one hell of a bullet because it could not have looked worse than it did, but now that that's out of the way, I want to leave it in the background because injuries are the worst, and especially an injury like that. So We'll move on to the rest of the game. Again, we'll talk about this Denver defense just being absolutely dominant. We'll talk about Nikola Jokic's 31st career triple-double in the third this season. Talk about Jamal Murray. Talk about Will Barton. Talk about Gary Harris. Talk about the bench unit. And then I'm going to dive into a bunch of questions. I picked up a a few extra. I think I have like eight questions I'm going to answer this time before giving a little bit of a um, a look ahead to what is going to come once again. I've been adding this to the podcast to try and add some context as to what is happening in the greater scheme of the season. That way we can at least understand what these games mean and what is coming up and what the Nuggets need to prepare for, when they need to get wins, and when they have tough stretches of games ahead of them. So it's going to be an interesting show. We're going to take our first break. I will come back in a second and we're going to talk about this game and get into some questions. Before we 
get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet, with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. job Denver did defensively because my god was this team just absolutely dominant and if you go on to Mile High Sports right now after the last win against the Rockets I wrote a piece about how this Denver Nuggets team has become a defensive unit their identity is on the defensive end of the floor and once again that played out in real time against this Boston Celtics team which had 11 wins coming into this game this was one of the best teams in basketball and the Nuggets smothered them they suffocated them there was For the first half, they were shooting like 23% from the field. They had seven made shots, I believe, by the time that halftime arrived. Like, it was a disaster for them, and the Nuggets were a big reason why. Don't get me wrong, the, the Boston Celtics did miss open shots. It wasn't all open shots, but it wasn't like the Nuggets were blocking every shot in sight. It was just they were playing such strong, fundamentally sound, and effort-filled defense at all times that they were able to make up for those, you know, if they if they do leave a, sh- a, a shooter open, they were rotating so hard and giving so much effort that it was helping get that little bit extra advantage that maybe you're able to, you know, push the shot off of its trajectory. So, the Nuggets in this game hold the uh, this Boston Celtics to 40.7% shooting from the field and seven of 27 from three. By the and that's very. It's hard to stack that up to what it really was because the Celtics scored 35 points in the fourth quarter, and that fourth quarter was disastrous. Don't get me wrong; the Nuggets allowed a 19-point lead to completely disappear by the you know with the end of the third quarter and the start of the fourth quarter. But if you take out the fact that they just kind of went crazy there in the fourth quarter, they were shooting like 28% from the field after the, after the first three quarters of this game. Denver was swallowing them whole, and it was every single player was really able to impact this game defensively. Will Barton continues to be just dominant on the defensive end of the floor. Nikola Jokic gets himself th- uh, three steals and a block shot. You have Jamal Murray out here grabbing two steals. Paul Millsap was his typical incredible free safety self behind, and even the bench unit, for all their struggles, they were still Still able to impact the game defensively. This Nuggets team is for real on the defensive end of the floor. I don't really know how else you can describe it anymore. They can play multiple different kinds of coverages. They can hedge, they can double, they can trap, they can drop. They can play one-on-one. They have shown that they can you know, limit guys from blowing by them in one-on-one scenarios. Um, they're not getting scorched off the ball. They're not, you know, they've been able to protect the rim, even with Nikola Jokic on the floor. Every question that I had about their defense at the start of last year has seemingly been answered with the exact same roster. 
roster, and I really did not anticipate that. I thought there was no chance that this roster, as it is currently constructed, would ever have the ability to perform at this level, at be this dominant when they want to be. And again, this Nuggets team has been inconsistent this year. This is not a team that has been engaged 48 minutes a game every single game for all 14 games. That simply has not been the case. But regardless of that fact, this Nuggets team has been downright dominant on defense. And I think it's going to stay. I, I really do. And the biggest factor of this defense staying as dominant as it has been is Will Barton. Will Barton the third's defense defense has absolutely changed the equation. For so long it was how are they going to defend small forwards? Who are they going to start there? Are they going to have a big enough player at small forward? Can they snake around screens? Can they are they um, do they have a high enough basketball IQ to be a good off-ball defender and be disruptive? Will Barton has checked off every damn box that you could ever ask for in these first 14 games of the season or whatever it is. I think they're 11 and three now. Um, I, I am so thoroughly impressed with what Will Barton has been able to do on the defensive end of the floor. And this isn't just being an athlete. This isn't just um, skying for blocks and looking good in a small sample size. Will Barton is setting the defensive tone for this Nuggets team. A team that has Gary Harris and Paul Millsap on it, Will Barton has been arguably their best defender, and he does it from the opening tip. I don't think there has been any player on the Nuggets who has been locked in and as engaged and as attentive to what is happening around him on and off the ball, on offense and defense like Will Barton has done this year. I tweeted earlier tonight that Will Barton has been the Nuggets' most complete player this year, and I don't think you can question that. Paul Millsap's offense has come and gone. He has um, His defense has been great all year, but same with Gary Harris. Offense has come and gone. Will Barton has been effective offensively, a great creator as a playmaker, uh, whether he's running pick and rolls or whether he's just creating attacking closeouts or whatever it may be. He has been so good in terms of just one-on-one lockdown defense. Like, he is bodying up Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kemba Walker, all of these extremely high-level guards. I mean, you talk about him going up against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown tonight, and they were absolutely atrocious in the first half, and Will Barton's defense had almost everything to do with that. And what's really impressive, and the part that I have realized how dedicated he is to defense is his engagement off-ball. If you go back and watch film of Will Barton's defense when he is away from the ball, regardless of who he is defending, he walks the line of sticking with his guy and always knowing what is happening behind him, always knowing when he needs to rotate, where he needs to rotate to, and exactly what spot on the floor he needs to reach at what particular time to have the advantage. He is running calculations seemingly instantaneous in his head about exactly where to be in every defensive scheme the Nuggets have used, and there has been very, very few mistakes that he has made. I don't know how you can look at Will Barton's defense and be anything but astounded at what he's been able to do. And this is the thing. Everyone's looking at this like, oh, Will Barton's final playing defense. If you go back last year and you look at what he was able to to do before getting hurt in that game and a half, he was this defender. And then obviously when he came back, he was not the same version of himself. But during the playoffs, there were some high-level defensive moments from Will Barton. And I'm thinking that we were robbed of this defensive Will Barton last year because of the injury. I think this dedication goes back much further than this year and this offseason. I think that he has understood since he signed that contract that he was going to need to find a way to impact the game defensively on a regular scale and he has been able to do that and all credit goes to him 
All of it. This is the thing. Michael Malone and Wes Unsell Jr. are very good defensive minds as coaches. They do not have the ability to turn a switch and be able to get their players to be this engaged and this instrumental in the defensive scheme on and off the ball, regardless of where they are on the floor at any given moment, and be able to be this impactful. It is absolutely incredible, and it's why the Nuggets have won 11 games. He has been arguably the most important player to their winning. Of course, Nikola Jokic is better. Of course, Jamal Murray is more important. I'm not arguing those facts, but where they're at right now, they're here because of Will Barton and honestly Paul Millsap, which I'll talk about in a bit. But people need to give it up for Will Barton. Like the, he deserves so much respect for being able to bring the Denver Nuggets to where they are right now defensively. Because without a wing defender who is able to do what he has done, the Nuggets would not be here. Simply stated, like they were a top ten defense last year. Don't get me wrong, but teams missed an extraordinary amount of corner threes against them, and there were some unsustainable aspects to that defensive performance. When I watch this defense. There is nothing that I see as unsustainable. There is no reason the Nuggets cannot defend like this all season long and into the playoffs. That is where they're at now. This is not a fluke. This is not something that is not possible. And this was a, oh, the Boston Celtics and the Rockets just missed a lot of shots. This is the Nuggets perfectly executing the game plan and doing everything they can to get every single stop possible by giving maximum effort on the defensive end of the floor way more often than not. Again, it's early season. There has been some disconnected moments. But overall, this Nuggets team understands what they need to do to win, and it's defend. They have held eight teams under 100 points this year, which leads the league, and they are 8-0 in those games. Like, I don't—this is the thing. They can have 96 points and win games now. Do you know how important that is for the Nuggets' floor as a team? I've been looking at this Matt Moore um, of, of, of the Action Network. He, he called it um, cathedral and floor or something like that. But basically, it's ceiling and floor for a team. It's the idea that this is at their worst, and this is where they're at at their best. The Nuggets' floor is so much higher than it was last year because they know exactly what it takes to win on any given night, and they know what buttons to press and win to to be able to win these games again the Nuggets are so far away from their best right now and they are finding exactly the right amount to be able to still win games not overly exert themselves and still be able to dominate when they need to dominate and that for a team that is under 25 years old on average is absolutely incredible I was talking with the scout before the before the game today and I was like, you know, this team, they don't, the Nuggets, they play down to their competition, they play up to their competition, and I worry about letdowns because they are so young, and he looked at me and he goes, I don't care what the age is anymore, this team is not young. And that was a moment that really stuck with me from this, from that experience, which was like, it doesn't matter what their ages are. This Nuggets team has been together for five years. They have competed for at, at least trying to make the playoffs or getting into the playoffs for three straight years and are now entering this season as a true contender for an NBA Finals appearance, potentially. This is not a team that is young anymore. They have a first-team All-NBA center, a possible All-Star in Jamal Murray. They have a veteran in Paul Millsap on the floor. Gary Harris plays like a veteran. Will Barton is a veteran, despite being 27. Jeremy Grant plays um, with a wisdom about him, despite the fact that he is like 24 years old. So, yes, they are young, but you know what? This team has not been given enough credit for knowing exactly what they need to do to win games. They are more mature than a lot of us have given them credit for, and... That's a really impressive step forward. Um, I tangent off way far. I did not mean to rant so much. Um, that really started with Will Barton. But <laughs> regardless of that fact, let's take a step back and go to um, 
Let's talk about Denver's defense a little bit more on a macro scale. I was talking about how they can run different schemes, and tonight was a perfect example of that. When Kemba Walker got hurt and left the game, the Nuggets started dropping defensively. They were hedging out and trying to force the ball out of Kemba Walker's hands. They were sending traps, and they were bringing the the big man up to the level of the screen to at least force the ball out of Kemba Walker's hands. They didn't want Kemba Walker to beat them. When Kemba Walker left the game, they started mixing it up. They would randomly double Marcus Smart, they would drop against him and force him to take mid-range shots, they would rotate off, whatever it was. They could do so many different defensive schemes, and because of their effort and because of their engagement and their attentiveness, like I've said so many times in this pod already, they're able to do that seamlessly. And it's been really impressive to see how many different defensive schemes they can utilize and how many different defensive lineups they can unleash at any any given point. The Nuggets bench unit, when they have have Wancho, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee, Monte Morris. Like, that's a really long, good defensive unit. Um, they have length. They have athleticism. They have guys who can be mobile on the perimeter. They can switch everything. They can drop. They can hedge. They have become so versatile and so defensively, what's the right term? Their overall team IQ as a defense has seemingly doubled in the past uh, year and a half. And it's absolutely incredible. Um, I want to move off that, though. I've hammered it too much now. Nikola Jokic tonight had his third triple-double of the season. Uh, Not only was it his third triple-double of the season, it was his 31st career triple-double, which now ties him 12th all-time with John Havlicek. Nikola Jokic is 24 fucking years old, and he's already 12th all-time in triple-doubles. He already owns the, the record for most international triple doubles. He already has the most triple doubles for centers. He has done so many, or other than Wilt, other than Wilt. Sorry, I should have specified that. But he is just doing so many incredible things. And tonight, like, he was good. Don't get me wrong. But when you just look down, you're like 18 points, 16 rebounds, 10 assists, three steals, and a block in 35 minutes? That's <laughs> he sleepwalks his way into just absolutely incredible games. That stat line, 18, 16, 10, and three steals, has only been matched or exceeded by Giannis this year. And it didn't even feel like it was that impactful. Don't get me wrong, Jokic was great, but he wasn't even the best player in this game. If I had to give a game ball out, I'm giving it to probably Jamal Murray first, Will Barton second, and then Nikola Jokic. And still, Again, triple-double, 12th all-time, numbers that only Giannis has put up this year. It's absolutely incredible that Nikola Jokic is able to do this in the way that he does. Uh, Jamal Murray, man. This <laughs> Watching Jamal Murray grow up this year has been really, really cool. Watching, And I don't mean grow up as a person. Like, Don't get me wrong. Like, he's a grown-ass adult. I am not talking about him like that. I mean in terms of just how composed his game is and his skill set and how, how much he's able to command his skills now. Because so many players... I. I I'm trying to think of the right example of a player. Um, Oh, you know what? Jeff Green is the perfect example. Players who have the skills, who have all of the... And like Harry Giles fits this mold as well, where they have all this ability to show off all these different skill sets, but they don't know how to be able to actually utilize it whenever they want. They're not able to click a button and be able to go out there and, you know, become a better creator when the team needs it. Jamal Murray has found control of all of his skills as a player this year. And that was my biggest issue with him was that he would take bad shots when the Nuggets needed efficient offense. He was not a good enough creator whenever when other people weren't creating. And defensively, he was a disaster his first couple years. Now, all of those boxes have been checked. Just like I was talking about with Will Barton about his defensive box that boxes that he was checking, Jamal Murray has done that in terms of rounding out his game. 
Looking at Jamal Murray's stat line, he got hot in the fourth quarter. He was shooting pretty bad before that, but 9 of 18 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3. He's taken at least 6 threes per game in 3 straight games, which I found very, very interesting and encouraging. 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, plus 8 in 38 minutes, had 22 points, defended his ass off again, had some awesome passes, and was the most clutch player for the Nuggets today other than Paul Millsap. Like You can probably argue those were the two most clutch players for the Nuggets today. Jamal Murray, man, he's <laughs> he's coming into his own, and I am at the point now where I'm really expecting the new year or sometime around Christmas, Jamal Murray is going to click. And it won't just be that he knows how to be a well-rounded player like he is right now. The scoring is going to come with everything else. And I would not be surprised if there's a, a month where he averages 24-7-5 and five and is just ripping through teams shooting 50-40-85. That would not surprise me. And I think it could be on the way quicker than people realize. He is finding this balance and this understanding of his skill set that very few players his age are able to get to. And it's because... A Again, regardless of what his age is, this team is mature, and that is what has really allowed Jamal Murray to be able to open things up. He's done it all already. Other than play in a Western Conference Finals or Finals, Jamal Murray's seen everything. And he's 20, what, 22 years old? And he's seen all of that already? There are so many NBA players who win an entire career without seeing as much as Jamal Murray already has in four years. And that has allowed him to take bigger steps than most people would have expected. And while it may have not been linear, this is something that I've learned in the past couple of years, progression is not linear. Even if you are as consistent and steady of a hard worker as it gets, it's not linear. Something clicked for Jamal Murray recently. Now, that's not saying in the past week. I'm not saying even the past six months. In the past, you know, whatever period of time, a year or a little bit less, something clicked to where Jamal Murray gained that command of his game. And it has led to the Nuggets just absolutely opening the floodgates to the to potential of what they could be, of how great can this Nuggets team be, not in terms of just scoring, but a well-rounded offensive attack that also has different spearheads. Like, you know, it's the whole Hydra thing from Captain America. You cut one head off, two more appear. And if Jamal Murray can create like this, if Jamal Murray can defend like this, if Jamal Murray can score like this, and Will Barton can create like this, and Will Barton can defend like this, and Will Barton can, uh, can score like this, and Jamal and you know Gary Harris the same thing you start creating an idea of there is no way to have any idea of how this Nuggets team is going to attack you they will set the tone of every single game that they have because they have so many different ways to set it and while they're not there yet again this team is not anywhere near their best and I'm not even sure if they'll get to their best I'll talk about that a little bit later in this podcast um, but I if you see now that the Nuggets' best is something that is absolutely incredible, and I cannot wait to see how close they can get. I don't know. I don't think there's been one moment or one stretch of games in which this Nuggets team has put everything together. Bench unit, offense, defense, starters, creation, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, where everybody finds that symbiotic balance, and the Nuggets just absolutely rout a team in a way that very, like the Warriors used to do. That's really what it comes out like that level of domination. And who knows how long it'll take or if they will ever be able to reach that, like, you know, Denver Nuggets Nirvana. But the idea of it is becoming more and more terrifying by the day. The idea that the Nuggets can be a top five offense and a top five defense is not out of the question anymore. Like, that's the most elite of elite teams can get there, and the Nuggets can do that. That is mind-blowing. Like, for 
for so long, the idea of elite teams in my mind has been top 10 offense, top 10 defense, and in defensive and offensive rating. Being top five in each of those, which the Nuggets could absolutely do, that's something entirely else. And I hope we get to see that version of the Nuggets one day. Um, let's move on, though. Uh, I've talked about Will Barton, Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic. Oh, Gary Harris. Um, I do feel like Gary Harris is slowly starting to find his role in rhythm. Uh, this game was very representative of that, even though he didn't hit a three. He was three of eight from the field, probably should have hit one, at least one of his two threes, but he was aggressive in the right way. Took four free throws in this game, which was great to see. He had four rebounds and an assist, but again, lockdown defense, but it was the way he was finding his offense. He wasn't shooting off the dribble as a three-point shooter. He wasn't pulling up for floaters as a driver. He was getting downhill, getting to the rim, not forcing shots, and letting things come to him. I've been saying on this podcast for a while that there's a there's a whole lot Gary Harris could benefit from if he took a step back to take three steps forward. The best version of Gary Harris is a third, fourth, or fifth best scorer on the team. And I say that, I know that sounds weird, but when you have Paul Millsap and Will Barton as the other players you're competing with, like, you know, any three, any one of those three players could be the third best player on the Nuggets team. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic need to be one and two, but... It is very important that they can have that, and to see Gary Harris realizing what that role is, that basically all of them are splitting time as the third option on that team, it's allowed him to kind of let go of forcing shots, and it was good to see that tonight. That's really all i got to say about Gary Harris, but I do think that we're starting to see a better Gary Harris, a more comfortable Gary Harris going forward. Um, The bench unit, though, man, like... (laughs) This is the thing. This Denver Nuggets game should not have been anywhere near a four-point game. A lot of that had to do with the bench unit collapse in the third and fourth quarter. Every single starter on the Nuggets team was at least a plus eight or better. And Jamal Murray was plus eight, uh, Will Barton plus 13, Paul Millsap plus 18 for a game high, Nikola Jokic plus 10, Gary Harris plus 16. Then you go to the bench. Jeremy Grant, minus 16 in 16 minutes in a four-point win. Walter Hernan Gomez, minus 12 in 18 minutes in a four-point win. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., minus 9 in 10 minutes in a four-point win. Clearly, where things have fallen apart in this game, and I know plus-minus isn't everything. I'm not ready to hear everyone yelling at me about it, but that is a trend. That is showing you that the bench unit is not carrying enough weight for this Denver Nuggets team, and they need them to do more. Jeremy Grant has not been the player he needs to be, and he has not found a rhythm with this team. Mason Plumlee has been fine, but you can't rely on him to carry a bench unit. Juancho Hernan Gomez, for all of his energy, who was really bad defensively for stretches, um, despite having teammates who could make up for his issues on the other end. Michael Porter Jr. was the same way. Those two, Juancho and Michael Porter Jr., in my opinion, at the end of the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, Michael Malone stuck with them, and it was a disaster, and that lead dwindled very, very quickly. So, the Nuggets need to figure out something with that bench unit. I don't have answers. I don't I, I don't know. They have too much talent, they fit too well together, and it's just not functioning. So, they're going to have to switch something up, and that's what, and what sucks, they already have. Like They already took Torrey Craig and Malik Beasley out of the rotation. Um... I do wonder if we see a Malik Beasley sighting in, against Phoenix coming up next game. I do wonder, because now you're at seven games where Torrey Craig and Malik Beasley... Well, Torrey Craig has had one game with 10 minutes or more in the last seven, 
and Malik Beasley has zero games with 10 minutes or more in the last seven. So I wonder if we see Malik Beasley potentially get some run. Um, I doubt it, though. Like, Michael Malone seems dedicated to sticking with Juancho Hernan Gomez and finding a way to get Michael Porter Jr. minutes. And that just simply means Malik Beasley and Torrey Craig are on the outside looking in for now, as surprising as that may be. Um, also, Monte Morris has, was a ghost, man. Like, Monte Morris is too damn good to be this... Um, just to struggle to impact the game in the way he has this year. And I'm sure that's because everything else around him is very uncertain. No one has a rhythm on that defensive unit. And him being a floor general, he relies on being able to get teammates looks, looks that they are not making. But he, they need more aggressiveness from Monte Morris. And that's all I'll say about that. All right. Let's answer some damn questions. There were some good ones tonight. Shouts to all the people on my Twitter page. I usually hate Twitter, but you guys had some good questions tonight. I'm excited to get into these. Um, also, uh, shout to Chandler Jenkins who missed it, but got in on this question round. Uh, just for him, I'm going to reiterate, after every game, you will see me put a tweet out, ask me Nuggets questions with a finger pointing down to the reply button for you to go down there and send me whatever questions you may have. I will then randomly go through, pick out between 5 and 10 questions and I will answer them. The reason I like to do this is because I don't see everything. Like it's it's absolute vanity to think that I see and know everything and that the fans m- wouldn't potentially have um, helpful insight that maybe I overlook. So being able to take questions from people, it opens up new conversations and new pathways to being able to have discussions about important aspects of this Nuggets team. So I find that extremely helpful, not just for me, but also to include fans and be a part of this podcast, because really this podcast is for you guys. So being able to have everyone be a part of it is really, really cool. And I definitely appreciate you guys sending them in. But With that being said, let's dive in. Chandler Jenkins gets the first question here. He asks, are we sure the Nuggets have a good offense? I get why you asked this. The Nuggets playoffs were a disaster um, in terms of like being able to hit open shots and things like that. And they weren't, and they have not been functional to start the season. There was only, only two games in which the Nuggets offense really felt like the Nuggets offense. I don't care, man. Nikola Jokic is a walking top 10 offense. They'll figure it out. That's really how I feel. And I feel like Nikola Jokic has really figure uh what's the he he's found a level of comfort again he's looking like he's having fun again and that's so important to this nuggets team becoming the team that they can be uh if the bench unit starts missing every shot they put up the nuggets will get much better if nikola Jokic can find a way to just hit anything from outside the paint you're gonna see this offense take a big leap forward um i think jamal murray taking way more threes like he has been doing has helped a lot but give it time man this offense will resurrect itself and get back to the team that it was i fully believe that russell hamilton asks how good is this nuggets defense like i said before i think this nuggets defense has top five potential this year i think they have i think they are that good um whether or not they'll do it regularly enough throughout the regular season is up for debate but the upside of this team is a top five defense I am fully there I've ranted enough about their defense on this podcast so I'm gonna move on from that uh Chauncey Trillups I just love that name I don't know why but it's a great name uh he asks, what is going on with Malik Beasley I've answered this question a couple times I'll answer it again I have no idea exactly what's going on, but right now, Michael Malone, ever since he was sick or whatever was going on with that illness, has taken him out of the rotation entirely. This is a this is a decision he made. This is not Monte Morris is or this is not Malik Beasley is still sick. This is not anything like that. Malik told me he is fully healthy, and when I asked him if he'd had a conversation with Malone, like Malone had said he had had a conversation with him, he would he would rather keep it confidential, is what he told me. So. 
we have no insight. All we know is Malik Beasley is not in this rotation and it's making him a trade candidate right now because it's not working. And the Nuggets need to get Michael Porter Jr. minutes and Walter Hernan Gomez has produced more than he has offensively. So it's really starting to seem like Malik Beasley is not going to finish this season in a Denver Nuggets uniform. Sam Anderson asked, this is a great follow-up, um, if they can sign one, who is in a better situation right now between Wancho and Beasley? Wancho, Hernan Gomez is absolutely in a better situation. First off, the Nuggets need more wings. They need players who are big enough to play the wing position, and Michael Malone does not feel Malik Beasley is that guy. Um, on top of that, Wancho, Hernan Gomez is going to cost less than Malik Beasley. On top of that, and I find this extremely important, despite it being completely anecdotal, but Wancho, Hernan Gomez is Nikola Jokic's best friend. That means something. That does give him an advantage that Malik Beasley does not have in my eyes. Also, one of them is in the rotation and the other one isn't. So if you can get the guy who's been playing better for cheaper, who is already playing minutes while the other one isn't, it just makes more sense to me, which is also why I feel like Malik gets traded. That's all speculation, but we'll just have to wait and see. Jordan Scott asks, what steps do you think the team needs to take to learn how to play with a lead? I don't think they need to learn how to play with the lead. I think they need to care more about it. I know that sounds um, condescending to a degree, but really what it is is the Nuggets feel like they don't need to play hard sometimes. And when they're ahead by 19, they tend to take their foot off the gas. And while it drives Michael Malone crazy, it's November. I need to chill my own you know, takes off about the idea that the Nuggets aren't playing with enough effort. This Nuggets team, again, they're more mature than their age, and they know how to win, and they know where they're trying to get. They're 11-3. and They're the second seed in the West. They've won four straight games in eight of their last nine. They'll figure that they know how to play with the lead clearly because they've held them almost all of them. So despite the fact that they have made games too interesting, this Nuggets team knows how to play with the lead. They just don't care enough sometimes, which is fine. I get it. You know how hard it is to play 100% flat out 48 minutes, 82 games a year, and then go to the playoffs and be functional. Like I'm okay with this. I get it now. I'm trying to take a step back when it comes to that. Maybe they're not playing well enough with the lead, but guess what? All those leads are holding for the most part. There are, uh, I believe they are 8-1 and one this year in games fought decided by 5 points or less. Going back to last season, they are 38-15 and 15 in games decided by 5 points or less. Sure sounds, like me to, sure sounds like to me that they know how to hold on to a lead. All right. Nick Trumbo asks, who is the most underrated player on the team right now? There is only one answer here, and it is absolutely, unequivocally, factually Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap has been a godsend for this Nuggets team. I have absolutely no idea where this franchise would be if they did not give him that three-year, $90 million contract. I don't care what anybody writes about Paul Millsap's $30 million contract not being worth what his contributions are. They are wrong. Absolutely wrong. Paul Millsap has been... the. With Draymond not being the same player this year and the Warriors being such a disaster, there's a real argument that Paul Millsap has been the best free safety and weak side defender in basketball this year. He has been that good. And on top of that, 50% from three? Are you kidding me? He was one of one tonight, six of 11 from the field, 14 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, and again, dominant defensively, team high plus 18. And no one's talking about it. So... In my mind, there is no other name to add to this list other than Paul Millsap as the most underrated player on this Nuggets team. All right, last question. I, this is an important one. Uh, Torque Penderloin on Twitter asks, do you have any info or, or can you confirm Marcus Smart's version of what happened with the fan? So, 
I don't know when it happened. I didn't notice it during the game. It wasn't until after the game that I looked into this. First of all, I cannot confirm nor deny what happened. All I can say when it comes to who is telling the truth, which I can't say for sure. I can only take the clues that are in front of me is why on earth would Marcus Smart lie? All he's doing is putting the crosshairs on him and making a situation that is very difficult for him to deal with unnecessarily. So I believe Marcus Smart. I don't have information to back up my belief. I'm not going to sit here and say that I spoke to the fan. I absolutely did not. I didn't speak to Marcus Smart. Again, I didn't notice this until after the game, but I believe Marcus Smart, and also, that same spot on the floor, because I went back and I found the play on film, that same spot on the floor was where Russell Westbrook had the run-in with a fan. And I don't know who the fan is, and I don't want to speculate on who they are, but that is a part of this as well. Um, Also, he's right. If fans are saying derogatory bullshit like that, if they want to have the balls to go up to someone and be that much of it, to tell to tell someone to get on their knees where they belong is the most disrespectful, bullshit, fucked up thing you can say to an individual, especially someone who is a person of color that has already gone through so many trials and tribulations for no other reason than the color of their skin, where they have, there, there is no reason for this to happen. And for Marcus Smart, and again, I don't know if this is true, Marcus Smart said this, that security didn't do anything about it, that's a problem. And the Nuggets need to ha- have to own that one, and they need to figure out what that fan was, and... Argue, honestly, in my opinion, if the fan would, if the fan actually said that, and an, an investigation leads to that conclusion, he needs to be banned for life. Full stop. You cannot come into a game and say that to somebody, especially because the player, like Marcus Smart said, he can't retaliate. He can't say anything. If he does, he's the one that looks like you know that gets vilified, and that's not okay. It's not okay. And Marcus Smart is right in this. If all this is true, which I do believe him. That's it for questions. Thank you guys for sending them in. I love talking about them. Uh, Let's look ahead. The Nuggets have two more games on this homestand. They will take on the Phoenix Suns in a couple days before taking on the Washington Wizards. So the Denver Nuggets have an opportunity to go 4-0 on this um, homestand, and that would bring their record to, I'm trying to think, uh, 13-3. And then they would go on the road to play Sacramento before coming back home for a big-time matchup with the Lakers at the Pepsi Center. From that point on, they go on a four-game road trip where they'll play the Knicks, the Celtics, the Nets, and Philly. Yours truly will be on the ground for the Knicks and Brooklyn game and will be out in New York for those games, so expect content from me. But it's going to be a very interesting couple games coming up. If the Nuggets can keep winning the way they're winning, it is going to be a very, very, very good start to the Denver Nuggets season. It's already a better start than it was last year, which is really impressive. So thanks to everyone who listens. Thank you so much for putting in reviews, for leaving me five-star ratings, for sharing the podcast, for being a part of this show. It means the world to me. I wouldn't be able to do this without you guys. So thank you. Um, That's it for me, though. We'll talk to you guys in a couple days. Have a good one.